check. Hey, hey, hey. The power of turning things on when you're supposed to. Okay, hey, so last night we kind of talked about the, the root. What's the, the basis behind everything is asking the bigger questions to say, like, why are we here? And the white noise of life often drowns that out, right? We can get so caught up in the trimmings and trappings of American luxury and the concerns that we have. That seems so ultimate, right? And then here's what's bananas. Have you ever listened to, like, a five-year-old's issues? I can tell you this because right now I have an eight, six, five, three, and one-year-old, right? And so it, what's so funny is my eight-year-old listens to my three-year-old's issues and thinks they're ridiculous, Right? Like, my three-year-old, like, puts his shoes on the wrong feet, and so my eight-year-old's like, why? Do you? And then he's like, I don't want to take my shoes off. He's like, but it would help. If you take your shoes off, you can get them on the right feet, and your feet won't hurt. And he's like, but I don't want. And so Peyton, my oldest, thinks that Leo, my three-year-old, is goofy, right? His problems are not that big of a deal, right? His concerns aren't valid. His, um, his questions that he's asking are ridiculous, and it should all be chucked up to the infancy of a three-year-old. But you are junior hires. And you would listen to my eight-year-old talk, and guess what you would think? What you are worried about, and what you think about, and what you're concerned about, and the the things that you find value in, right? Like, the the things that my eight-year-old cares about, there's very few of you who, unless you are good with kids, and you can um, get kind of like... uh, get in his eye line and go, oh, this is cool, I'll play this with you, you know, like, he likes to sharpen sticks and make them into, like, swords and stuff, and which is, I mean, it's awesome for any age, actually, but, right, what he's concerned about, he wants to be first in line when we go place it, you remember when you were a kid, maybe you still are, <laughs> maybe you still are, but remember when you really cared about being the first person to go somewhere, right, like, I grew up at a Tulsa Lutheran school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I grew up in the Midwest and in the South, and you had a designated job for that week. And sometimes it was like vacuuming. Sometimes it was like feeding the fish. Sometimes it was like um, you had to like pull all the staples off the wall, which in, in essence, looking back, it was just child labor before child labor laws were in place. It was like, Mrs. Crowley, why am I washing your car? She's like, it's for the good of the kingdom, right? And like, let me go home. It's 7.45 p.m. Anyway, that's what it's like growing up in Oklahoma. But anyway... Uh, every, you, you, the things that you're worried about and the things that you're concerned about, you look back on what you were concerned about previously and you, you wanted to be the line leader, right? That was like a job. And, and every other job was like, except feeding the fish was kind of dope when there were fish that weren't dead. It was great, right? Um, it was like, I, you get to lead prayer this week. Who cares? You get to like whatever. Um, but line leader was like this stuff, right? And now, I, like when I got to junior high, like y'all's age, I like wanted to be in the back, Right? Like, the nerds want to get places quickly, and the cool kids are, like, strolling and strutting. They're like, oh, yeah, I work at, like, I walk at, like, 0.5 miles an hour. Like, you're the cool kids now. And so you just switch. And what's going to happen in your life is every iteration of your life, every single time you progress and go to the next level of maturity, you will always necessarily look back on your previous iteration of life and think it was ridiculous. You will. I promise you. There's not a high school on planet Earth, a high schooler, a, a senior in high school on planet Earth. Any of you guys in high school right now? Any, like, high school counselors? Any high, okay. What's your name? JJ. What's up, my man? Uh, you, like, lead a group of guys here? You, you love those dudes. Do you understand why they're worried about the things that they're worried about? Do you, some of the things they do, are you like, 
who cares? All the time. All the time. And how old are you? You're 17. You don't know anything about life right now. Just kidding. Of course you do, right? But you keep maturing and you keep growing. And you should, if you've got wisdom in your head, if you look back on that. And we, there's a pattern that takes place. Every time we get four years older and look back, we go, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? But the funny thing is, every time we get four years older, we think we've arrived. And that there's never going to be a time in the future where we look around and go, what was I thinking? But guess what? I'm 34. And I look back on the 30-year-old version of myself, and the thing about me is I've taught at a church for the last, I, my first time teaching at North Coast Church uh, on to, in big church, I was 24 years old, and I was teaching to 12,000 people every weekend. Can you imagine the junk that I go back and listen to myself say and go, no one should have been listening to you. You're so dumb. You don't know anything, right? My wife passes away, and now I feel like I've got another level of maturity that's like, I look back and read my journal from like when I was 28 and the concerns that I had, and I'm like, bro, if you only knew. Like, you'll be a single dad of five kids, raising them in postmodern, post-COVID America, and there's a recession. Like, this is their world now. But every time you grow up, you're going to turn around and go, what was I thinking? If the power that exists is if right now, the place that you sit in, if you are able to be mentally four years older and think, what if he's right? What if the things that right now you're most concerned about, you care about what people think around you, but guess what? You're never going to talk to them again, right? Like, I've got, I, was the, I was homecoming king of my high school. It's 4,000 people in Bakersfield, and I was like the most popular one. They was, it was peer voted. Don't talk to any of them, right? That, that crown is a big plastic waste of anything, right? It did nothing but make me feel more empty because they were like, you're popular. And I'm like, well, why don't I feel it, you know? You're telling me everyone likes me, but I don't even like myself. So why would you keep giving me sashes and ribbons and hats? This is not fixing anything inside of me. And this is the truth about the world. It's what we talked about last night. The part of you that makes a difference, the immaterial part of you, why would you give it a hat? Why would you give your immaterial soul a sash and think it's going to fix something? Those are completely non-overlapping parts of reality, the immaterial and the material. But if you, don't if you don't do the hard work to say, what are the things in my life that are just the white noise of the present situation I'm in, and what are the things that really matter, you'll find yourself going to these camps over and over again and being concerned with nothing except for which girl's looking at you or which guy's looking at you or how you can get more candy, or whatever it is that you're really concerned about. So once again, the conversation this morning, it's going to be offensive, but I, I hope it is to do nothing more than to continue to... Um, imagine being stuck in a forest, right? Imagine being trapped in a forest and not knowing which way's out. But you know that help comes from the ocean. If you can get to the ocean, you know that there's going to be like, there's gonna, there's gonna be like uh, bay cities there, there's going to be um, coastal towns there. And what if for one minute, one minute, you're caught in the middle of this, you're scared, you're hungry, you're cold. A helicopter could come in and take you up 100 feet in the air above the tree line. And all you did was scan around and go, ah, the ocean's this way. And then it placed you back down. It's called reorienting yourself. And then you went, okay, from here on out, I'm walking this way. That's the power of camp. The power of the gospel, the power of camp, and the power of scripture is it pulls us out of the enemy wants you to live in a white noise world where you think you have it all figured out, 
your issues are the most important things, and every year those issues that you have that year are the most important things. This is the trick. When, when Scripture says that Satan is clever, we, we, we rarely think about how clever he is. He just wants us to be focused on something else, right? We think if Satan showed up in my life, he would, like, hand me cocaine and go, like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I dare you, do it. But he won't, he won't right? For most of us, the way that Satan shows up in our life is he just, he keeps handing us the things that, he, that we think are going to satisfy us right now. That's what he does. That's the clever, that's the clever scheme of Satan, is to give you these drops of joy and pleasure and contentment, and he rocks the sleeping cradle of a dying generation and says, shh, 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 this is what's important, this is what's important. And the Bible comes along and says, I love you too much to think that you've got it figured out, that your issues are what's most important in your life, and that if you continue on this path, that you're going to be okay. And that's the, the conversation today. See, last night we talked about that you're all made on purpose, by purpose, for a purpose. And today we're going to talk about the fact that every human being, every human being has betrayed the purpose by which he was made. And that's not just a trivia fact. When the Bible says that you have betrayed the purpose by which you were made, the Bible calls that sin, okay? So if this, if this stand was made to hold whatever the presenter wants and it failed to do so, like what if this stand could only ever do that? What if it only existed like upside down? It's not a very good music stand, right? And if you did put something on it, it can't, if, if you did it this way, it can't really bend. It's pretty dysfunctional. It's not serving its purpose. You see, any time we, as, as, as pottery that was made, that's what the book of Jeremiah uses, that's what the New Testament uses, it uses this word picture in Scripture, and it says that God is the potter and we are the clay. And if we have a willingness to climb up on the potter's wheel and say, make me, take me, mold me, break me, shake me, use me, change me, pull me, whatever way you want, that God will make us into 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But so many of us on this journey of self-discovery, we say, I think God probably has a plan for my life, but I've got a different plan for my life. But it's, it's, you, it, the vote is not simply a matter of opinion. When we take our life, if you've used your life to, to not glorify him, which is why you were made, Isaiah 43 says, God made us and formed us to glorify him. You're asking, well, if that's the purpose of my life, then what does it mean to glorify God? Okay, here's what glorify means. Glorify means that God essentially built every one of us to be mirrors. Your life, the reason you exist, is not because God needed friends. God wasn't lonely. The Bible says that God, Psalm 23, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay? That derives from this really important theological concept. Theological means about God idea. That God doesn't need us. Some of us think the reason we were made is because God was bored. Or God was lacking love. But he wasn't. You see, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three parts of the Trinity, the, the, the Trinity that we worship, that Scripture calls God, was, has always infinitely for all past time, all the way back before anything was formed, has been in perfect community with one another. They don't need anything. You're not made because God needed help. He didn't need people to love him. He didn't need people to help him build 
buildings on planet earth. None of those things are true. God made us to bring him glory. Not because he needed glory to survive, but because glory and honor are due to him. So when he makes man, he makes us like this. Our job is to, from the moment we were born, in perfection, before sin entered the world, we were made as like um, mirror holders. And we were made to reflect the image of God and to display the image of his perfection and his beauty and his righteousness and his glory and his magnificence and his creativity. We were meant to be walking, talking mirrors that said, do you know this God that made me? Do you know of his might? Do you know of his power? Do you know of his glory? Do you know of his beauty? It's all about him. And in that, the Bible says, we would have had pleasure forevermore because we were made to do this. And we would have found such joy and such value and such meaning and such purpose in that because that's why we were made. We, the music stands, this is what it means to hold music. When we are actually functioning the way we were made, we are supposed to glorify him. But man did something. They took the mirror that was meant to demonstrate God's glory and to reflect it to those around us, and we turned the mirror around. And we went, you know what, I'm kind of great too. No, no, I, I see you, but, but what if instead of being about you shining you to everyone else, what if it was all about me? This is the narcissistic, narcissistic nature of our whole culture, right? It's all about me. But in doing so, we have rebelled against our original design, and that is called sin. Sin is any thought, word, action, or attitude that we have that says, God, I know why you made me, but I'm going to live out the reason why I want to be made. I'm going to live out my own purpose. I see what you want me to do, but I'm going to do things my own way. So anything that, that, that goes against why we were made is called sin. And here's what the Bible says about sin. Sin equals death. Sin's not a little deal. And this is what we want to make it to be, right? Um, every single one of us in here is a bad person, okay? Right? This, everyone always perks up because they're like, my mom says, and it's like, great. Here's the issue with your mom. She's also a bad person, okay? And then you're not going, that's not my opinion. I've never met your mom, right? The Bible uses completely ubiquitous, completely universal language when it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, for there is no one right with God, not even one. So we ask the question, are you a good person? No? What's your name? Isabella, you're not a good person. You're not? Do you know any good people? None? Just one? Okay. What's your name? Caleb, you a good person? Probably not. Oh, I love that. Okay, so here's why you just said probably not. Because in your head, you're thinking, you want me to say no. If I say yes, you're going to keep asking me more questions. I don't really want to be down with that. So I'm going to use the word probably not because it's not committing to me being a bad person because I don't want to see myself like that. So I'm going to use the word probably not. How close am I? Pretty darn close. All right. Sounds good. Caleb, are you a good person? You're not. Okay. What's your name? Nate? You a good person? You're not? Yeah. Well, he went the other. He's, he's like, Caleb, I see you're probably, and I add an absolutely to the end of it. If you ask general population, what's your name? 
Why are you smiling so much? Are you a good person, Tress? You're not? Do you know any good people? Is she a good person? What? What about her? No? What about him? Do you know him? You don't know him? Do you think he's a good person? You don't even know him. How would you know if he's a good person if you don't even know him? You want to know how you know? Because the Bible says he's not. What's your name? Not a good person, Julian. So, so many of us, the issue is, we grow up thinking, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. And the way that we think that is we go, oh, I try really hard, or most of the time I do the right thing. And then if you ask a general person in America, are they a good person, they'll say, kind of. The number one reason, and we'll try this out right now, um, what's your name? Landon? How old are you? Nice. Well, 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 sorry. I thought you were 11 for a second. I'm like, this is going to be a 12. That's a whole different ballgame. So Landon, what do you think happens when we die? We, who's we? Believers in Christ? Are you going to heaven? Hopefully. You don't know? You're shrugging your shoulders. Is it hard for you to go to sleep at night? Because you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Is that weird? Well, you're pretty sure. But you don't want to sound overconfident like my friend Caleb up there, right? <laughs> In your head, you're going, of course I'm going to heaven, but I can't be like, yeah, I'm going, because then everyone's going to be like, wow, he's confident. Um, why are you going to go to heaven? So you like you read your Bible and stuff. I like that. Okay, okay, okay. I like it. What's your name? Grace. Could your eyes be any bigger? You're like the girl from Tangled. My name's Grace. Did I scare you? Okay. Grace, are you a good person? Your name's Grace. Are you a good person? No? Are you going to go to heaven when you die? You hope to? You and Landon should join like a hope club. Why? You don't want to go to hell? That's like, <laughs> when you meet God, he's like, so heaven or hell? You're like, well, I don't want to go to hell, so probably heaven by default. I'm just going to go with heaven on this one. You have any, like, what, what, why do you think God should let you in heaven? Because, now there's a good answer. You don't know. Do you try to be a good person? You do? Are you a pretty good person? You don't know? You just told me you're a bad person. But now are you a pretty good person? Are you a bad person or a good person? A bad person, but you're a bad person who thinks you're going to go to heaven. Who go, do good people go to heaven? They do? Do bad people go to heaven? Do good people go to heaven? Okay, good. So I'm glad that you're confused. The funny thing is, is these are some of the most rudimentary questions we can ask ourselves. Like, I'm only here for 60, 70, 80 years, and then I've got an eternity after that. And we're all kind of like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And it's chill, right? I'm kind of okay with that. Are you crying? Oh. You have something in your eye? I bet you do. You, I bet everything goes in your eye because your eyes could not be larger than they are right now. <laughs> you're catching everyone's COVID in your eyeballs right now. 
like a you look like a you look like a Disney character. Like, it's it's cool. It's like I can always see what's going on in your head. Anyway, it's a good thing. She was talking to her friend, and I called on her, and she went, "What?" God made mankind, man and woman, he made us perfectly in his image. And our purpose was to reflect his image. Our purpose was to, to make much of his name, to be all about him. And you might go, that would be boring. The only thing that would be boring because right now you think that life's all about you. So you think that a life lived all about Jesus would be boring, but it wouldn't be. It would be pleasure beyond compare. It would be joy beyond comprehension. It would be meaning beyond anything you've ever experienced before. But we biffed it. Adam and Eve in the garden, tempted by Satan, Satan said, what if this life was about you instead? Wouldn't that be better? And they tried. And so they ate of the fruit, and mankind fell. And it's not, I'm not, I'm not, like, in my natural state, I'm going to hell, right? Without, without saving, I'm going to hell. Why? Because God made a place <coughs> for Satan and his demons, those who said, we don't want to give God glory. We don't want to give him worship. We are going to rebel and turn away from him. Well, God has character. Do you know what character means? Okay. God's character is the things that make him him. Okay. Um, what's your name? Matthew, do you have high character or low character? High character? Okay, give me, a, give me an aspect of your high character. What, what makes you a high character kind of guy, Matthew? You're funny? Yeah, there's nothing to the character. But I like the way that you move. And that was kind of funny in itself, so I like that. Um, so what does character mean? Okay, what makes someone of high character? What's your name? Juliana, are you mad that I called on you? Too late! You've been volunteered. <laughs> Juliana, um, do you know someone that's of high character in your life? Her? What makes her of high character? What, what do you like about her that makes her of high character? She trustworthy? She's okay. Is she trustworthy? She's kind of trustworthy. <laughs> Guys, there's so many. This is like Jerry Springer up in here. Like, y'all need to have some conversations behind closed doors before I start calling on you. I'm like ruining friendships right now. I guess so. Except for that one time you kissed Brian. You know I like Brian. She's like, that's what happened. That was what happened. Um, I. I am not a good person, okay? When I do things that you would consider good things, I'm going against my nature, okay? Because we as humans, and this is what you'll understand about yourselves, we as humans are, are evil by our nature. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, into iniquity I was conceived, brought forth into iniquity. We are born as enemies of God. This is what you need to understand. That spectrum I talked about last night we like to put ourselves all over that spectrum when it comes to God. But the Bible really only creates two different positions. That because of what Christ has done on the cross, God has made a way for people, for evil men like me. And we don't like to talk about evil when we talk about ourselves, right? Tell me an evil man in history. Hitler. Hitler is like everyone's go-to, right? He is like the absolute bare bottom. He's like the, the, he is the most grotesque person in all of us. He is evil. 
The Bible, though, says if we keep saying those people are evil and there's no evil in ourselves, then we walk around not thinking we have a sin problem. We think those people need Jesus. Those people need saving. Those people need help. The Bible says this, James chapter 2, if a man stumbles in one part of the law, he's guilty of breaking the whole thing. Which means in front of a holy and perfect God, if you have ever stolen, you have ever cheated, you have ever lied, you have ever looked lustfully on a, on a woman, ever looked lustfully on a man, if you have, even if you were born human, you have already rebelled against God and broken his full law, the whole thing. Now, here's what you need to understand about God's character. We do things, I'm a, I guess I told you, by nature I'm an evil guy, okay, by nature. By nature we all are, okay. But every once in a while, I do something of high character. Like, maybe I'll find trash on the ground, and even when no one else is around, I'll pick it up. That was a behavior of high character. I do high character things when I go against my nature and go, you know what, right now, I'm going to do a good thing. Here's what you need to understand about God. God does not make character decisions. Walk with me on this one. God will never see a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do and have some kind of a moment where he decides what to do. You see, we can do good things out of decision. God does good things out of his nature, out of his character. What's good about that is God will always do what's loving. He will always do what's right. He will always do what's good. He will always do what's pure. He will always do what's patient every time. The scary part about God and his nature is God in his nature is also just. God in his nature is also always fair. So a lot of us think, well, I've rebelled against God. I've turned away from him. And the Bible says that I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve to never be with them again. I deserve to go to the place where the demons, the demons are going, which is those who didn't want to give glory to God. Because I've sinned against God, I know that I deserve to go there, but God is not going to make anybody go there because God's a loving God. But you're, you're, you're missing something. Is God a loving God? 100%. But he's also a God of perfect justice, perfect wrath, and perfect fairness. So the whole lesson for today is to understand a couple of things. Number one, our purpose when the craftsman made us it was to glorify him. It was to be spreaders of his glory, and we've all fallen short of that, every last one of us. Even from being born, we have rejected that, which means we all, in our sin, are enemies of God. Okay? There's no spectrum. You're either a child of God or you're an enemy of God. You might be sitting here thinking, that's not fair. I don't have strong opinions towards God. I have never yelled at God. I have never sworn at God. I have never tried to make fun of God. That's not fair. I might not be a follower of Jesus, but certainly I'm not his enemy. When you open the pages of scripture, you open to a book called Romans chapter 5, and you look at what it says, here's what you're going to find. Romans chapter 5 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you, and that's me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more will we be saved through his life? 
So, friends, here's the question I want to leave you with. And it's a heavy question, but it's an important one. It's an offensive one, but it's one that no one ever told me when I was a kid. Here's what I thought. I thought, I'm in, I'm in the orbit of God. I'm near him. I go to church. I sign up for a Christian camp twice a year. I'm near God. I'm near the conversation of God. I'm near the people of God. I'm near the church of God. I go to church every weekend. And I thought for some reason that being inside of church or being around God's people or because my parents had saving faith or because my brother and my sister both go to Christian school just like I do, that that somehow made me right with God. That made me saved. That meant that I was going to heaven. The Bible says that is not the case at all. Being at church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being at McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. You don't go, right? You ever seen someone who goes to the gym and stands in the doorway? And Do they get fitter? No, they do not, right? If you go to the gym and watch people work out, you're a creeper and you're not going to get in shape. You see, but this is what a lot of us do. We think, well, as long as I don't say bad things about God and don't have strong opinions towards God, then God, when I meet him face to face, is going to go, I don't got any big beef with you, but you're wrong. By our nature and the things that we do, you're all liars. You're all cheaters. You're all stealers. You're all, you're, every one of us has lusted. Every one of us has committed adultery. Every one of us is guilty of the crime of murder. And you think to yourself, no, not me. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus himself says, you have heard it said, do not kill. But I tell you, if you have ever hated someone in your heart, you are guilty of murder already. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You're already guilty of these things. So we have to stop walking around thinking, I like my case. I like the way this is going to go. I'm going to meet God face to face, and I'm going to go, I tried hard, right? I tried to be a good person. I was around Christ-like people. I went to Christian camp, right? If you show him, like, your wristband from Hume Lake, uh, from Hume SoCal 2023, and you're like, I was there. God's going to go, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Without saving faith, without surrendering your life over to Jesus, you remain an enemy of God. And enemies of God spend forever apart from God in a place the Bible calls hell. And again, the cartoons that we have in modern culture, hell is always like, it's all, everything's on fire, right? And Satan's running around with his pitchfork and his like leather outfit, which is weird, right? And he's like, I'm the ruler of hell, right? And Hitler's always there and he's like poking him with a pitchfork and saying, hey, it's me, Satan. That's like how we see it. And so when we think about it, we go, oh, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. That's bananas. Satan loves the fact that cartoons paint hell like that because it's completely untrue. Who's in charge of hell? The devil? Hell was created to, for the destruction of Satan. Who runs hell? God does. God created hell as a place for the Satan and his demons who rebelled against him and said, we will not give you glory, to have a place where they said, we don't want anything to do with you, God, and then God gave them their wish. Hell is a place that has nothing to do with God. And you might be thinking in yourself right now, oh, that's great. I don't want anything to do with God either. 
I don't want anything to do with what he says. I don't want to do with his people. I don't want to do with anything else like that. The problem with that is every time you breathe, every time you laugh, every time you think, every time you're conscious, every time that you eat a good meal, every time that you laugh with your friends, every time you enjoy a loving relationship, every time your parents express love to you, every time you do anything that brings joy, consciousness, pleasure, uh, contentment to your heart is all a gift from God. Every one of it. Everything you've ever done that you enjoy is because of God's presence right here in this place as we sit. It says in the Bible, every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights. The Bible also says that God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you can enjoy a steak alongside someone who hates God altogether. You both enjoy the same steak. You want to know why the Bible says that non-believers enjoy life sometimes just as much as believers do? Because it's God's active invitation of loving kindness that those people would come to repentance. That they would understand what God is like and they would turn their lives around. So I want to end with this question. Just like we read. Therefore, if anyone is is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen to the opposite of that. If it says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, the opposite of that is, therefore, if anyone is not in Christ, they are not a new creation. The old has not gone. The new has not come. There is no redemption. And if you are not in Christ, as you sit in this room, you are not Switzerland. You're not neutral in the conversation. There's only two sides, enemies of God and children of God. And the beauty of the cross is that it is the magnificent leverage that is able to move enemies into the positions of children. The power of the gospel is that it is able to move enemies into the status of kids of the father of everything. And tonight we're going to discuss, you might be asking, okay, so I've got a bad case. I'm going to meet God one day face to face. My immaterial soul is going to live on. I'm stuck in the white noise. I want to ask these big questions. I'm not a good person, and good people are the only ones who get to heaven. So if I'm not a good person, then how do I become a good person? How do I transform my case? How do I change my destiny? If I'm an enemy of God and I'm not capable of doing anything good, then I'm going to need help. The gospel message is the story of how God becomes our help. And he pays the price of sin that satisfies the justice of God that we could become his children. And as you walk out of here today, you're going to go to your cabin time, and I want you to ask this question seriously of yourself. If you weren't given 37 categories to choose from, and you're only given two, when it comes to the focus of your life, from your energy, from your past, from your sin, from everything else like that, are you an enemy of God or are you a child of God? If you only had two options, this is a place you can be totally honest. And some of you are going to sit in your cabin time and you're going to go, I'm an enemy of God. I didn't know that I was, but man, I'm surely not a son of God. I'm surely not a daughter of God. I certainly haven't given my life to God. And if that's what it means to become his child, then I guess I'm an enemy. And tonight we'll talk about what promise does God give for those of us who find ourselves in that position, but we want to be with him. We want to be saved. That's the gospel tonight. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your sacrifice on our behalf. Thanks for even the truth of the law, the truth of sin that shows us like a doctor holds up a scan that's full of cancer and it says, you need help. And your help's not going to come from good thoughts or good vibes or good feelings or an internal sense of meaning. 
but it's going to come from an external source. God, in, this, in the same way that a doctor gives us diagnosis and then he's able to prescribe a solution, your Bible, your law, your word sits next to us and stares us in the face and it gives us the same diagnosis. It's terminal. It will kill and you need an external solution. Would you soften our hearts so that we can be receptive to whatever that is for us in our life? Would you prepare our hearts to hear the gospel tonight, your story of how you make dead things alive again, how you turn enemies into children? It's your name we pray. Amen.